of the book of Ephesians. And let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we do bow the knee this morning. Stand in awe of who you are. Lord of creation. God eternal. All-powerful, all-knowing. Sovereign. And yet also Savior. Just and justifier. Father. Lord, what a privilege it is to come into your presence. To come boldly in Christ. Even as we have meditated on these truths in Ephesians over the last several weeks, knowing that we are fully equipped in Christ. You have given us all that we need. So Lord, give us eyes to see, faith to know, in whom we stand and what we have, that we would not be timid but bold, and that we would stand firm in Christ. Even this morning as we close this book, looking at these few verses, strengthen us, Lord. Encourage our weak hearts. Turn our eyes from the troubles of this world, the things that are swirling all around us, to eternity to the hope that we have in Christ, the surety in which we stand. Strengthen us for your glory, Lord, that we may stand and that we may honor you. Guide our thoughts and my words in this hour. Give me boldness and authority to preach the word of God with clarity, with conviction, that your name alone may be lifted high. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever made a short-sighted decision? A decision in the moment based on the things that are around you that later on you come to regret? We recently were having a discussion along these lines with uh, our twins, Clinton and Judah. Uh, You see, they love basketball. And more than anything else, they want a basketball jersey of their favorite player. But those are rather expensive. They're 75 to 100, sometimes more than $100. And uh, so we started giving some some chores around the house and, and paying them a little money and trying to teach them to save up for the thing that you want. But they also like basketball cards, and those are a lot cheaper. And trying to teach an eight-year-old that it's worth it to stick stick that $10 away and save it up over several weeks so that you can get a basketball jersey rather than spending it every week so that you can just get basketball cards that you quickly lose interest in, it's not worth it. It's a short-sighted decision. See the long game. We might laugh about eight-year-olds and their basketball card obsession. The reality is we're all short-sighted, are we not? 
how quickly we become distracted, how quickly our minds are filled with worry, how focused are we on the present rather than seeing with the eyes of faith, rather than seeing with an eternal perspective. There's nothing that will open your eyes to how short-sighted you are and how self-focused you are than traveling internationally. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of traveling internationally, but when you go overseas or you go to, to outside the United States, many of the countries are just, it is eye-opening. It helps you to see, it's shocking. It helps you to see that the things that, that seem to matter so much to you, they really don't matter at all. I've told the story before of the opportunity I had to go to India with my grandfather when I was in middle school. And uh, we were at this, it was a Bible conference, and I mean, they, these were three-hour-long messages, and just seeing the, the, the hunger and thirst in these Indian students for the Word of God, it was a conviction to me. And yet that wasn't the only thing that was a conviction to me. As a young man, we had the opportunity to go out onto the streets of... Um, Bangalore, Bangalore, India. And as we were going around the streets in this little rickshaw, it's one of the most scariest things I've ever done in my life. But it was just shocking to me the conditions in which these people lived. There was trash everywhere. At one stop, I mean, there's cars flying by. We are in the middle of a major intersection, and this woman comes up to us. And I'm not trying to be mean, but it was just one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And after she left, the guy, the guide that I was with leaned over and said she had leprosy. And people have to live with these things that aren't even an issue or a thought over here in the United States. I thought I had problems. We are blessed beyond measure. And yet we are so, so short-sighted. And you know what was probably most shocking to me? It was that once I got back from that trip, how quickly those things that I realized didn't matter, how quickly they once again started mattering to me. How quickly when my circumstances changed that my perspective went right back to the way it was. You see, now I should know better. Yet I am so short-sighted, so driven by fear and doubt I imagine that many of us would recognize that about ourselves. Here in the closing benediction of Ephesians, Paul calls the people to lift their eyes, to see with eternity in view. Look up from your fear-induced stupor and recognize the glorious riches that you have in Christ. You are not alone. You are not ill-equipped. And you will never be abandoned. And so, brothers and sisters, this closing verses of Ephesians are a call to live like the gospel is true. And so this morning as we work our way through this, we'll see co-laborers. We'll be reminded of our co-laborers in the gospel. And we'll be encouraged by our co-dependents on the gospel. First thing we see in verses 21 to 22 are our co-laborers in the gospel. 
Paul begins in verse 21, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. We're coming right out of the the passage where we've been uh, encouraged to put on the armor of God. Paul has walked through that, and you might remember he closes that section by talking about now pray. Pray. Pray always. Pray boldly. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, pray. And he says, and pray for me also, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This is the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray. Pray for one another. Pray for me. Yet, though struggling and in need of prayer, Paul wants to encourage these believers. So he has sent this young man, Tychicus, that you may know my affairs and how I am doing. Someone who can fill in the details, someone who can come alongside them and and really explain It's one thing to to hear. It's another thing to be there and to see. I've learned this recently. Over the last several years, my mom's been going through cancer treatment and struggling through all of that. And I here I am a thousand miles away. It's one thing to talk on the phone and to hear updates, and to, but it's a whole other thing to be there and to see how she is doing. Paul wants to encourage his people. Pray for me. Yet, that you may know, that you may be encouraged, I've sent this young man, Tychicus. Tychicus, as we've been introduced to him already, Acts 20, verse 4. He's introduced in that section as traveling with Paul, or as as Paul uh, met him. He's actually introduced as uh, an Asian, is what it says. The Asians, Tychicus and uh, his partner. So that's the first mention of him in Acts 20, verse 4. We see him here again in Ephesians. In 2 Timothy 4.12, as Timothy has left Ephesus, it is Tychicus that Paul sends back to Ephesus to likely pastor that church and to take over. But here in Ephesians, he is simply a messenger. And note how Paul describes Tychicus. Who, Who is this young man? Who is this man that Paul has sent? He is one who is a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. What a compliment. Not just a faithful minister, but a beloved brother. How many churches are filled with those who are faithful, yet burdensome? He's faithful and beloved. He's faithful in his duty, and yet he's beloved. Because he recognizes that that ministry is not just about doing things, it's about people. He's a man who cares. Beloved brother. Beloved by Paul, is used of a couple people. 
The idea of beloved and faithful. Onesimus in Philemon 16. Timothy, 1 Corinthians 4.17. Epaphras in Colossians 1.17. are all described as beloved or as faithful. He is faithful. He's not just a skilled minister. He's a trustworthy minister. He's faithful. Again, how many churches have those who are skilled but who are not faithful? I was one time talking to a young man who was wanting to get involved in ministry but was not uh, very comfortable. He felt, he felt he, he was struggling with getting in front of people and doing those kind of things. And I tried to encourage him, I would rather have someone who is willing over someone who is skilled. Someone who is faithful, who's willing to do whatever I ask of them, over someone who's just skilled and willing to do what they want to do because they're good at it. Paul trusted him. And this is not an easy task. This is not something that you would just send anyone to do. They trust Tychicus. He's a beloved and a faithful minister. And note this. Note what it says. A beloved and faithful minister in the Lord. He's not described as a faithful minister, as a, as a beloved brother to Paul, but as a minister in the Lord in regard to the gospel. It reminds us of a passage like Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it as to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31, doing all to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, your ministry, no matter how seemingly menial it is, it is not a ministry, it's not for me. It's not for anyone else. It is service to the Lord. Minister in the Lord. And he will make all things known to you. It is Tychicus whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. We've seen his character. He is a beloved brother and he's a faithful minister. Now we see his task. What is it that Paul has sent him to do? To inform and to encourage that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. That you may know our affairs. He's bringing more information, giving more updates, more context. Likely something along the lines of what we see in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18. Where Paul, I'll read this section real quick. Where Paul, I, I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that has become evident to, those, to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren of the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. 
The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. It's likely something along these lines that is Tychicus's message that, that yes, Paul is in chains, But brothers and sisters, the gospel is not chained. Even in chains, this is what God is doing. In the palace, the gospel is going forth. The guards are believing. And yes, there's these other guys out here who are taking advantage of the situation. And yet even through that, God is working. I want you to know that Paul is encouraged. There's comfort in that. There's comfort in gospel advance. And knowing that these chains cannot hold back the church. That the gospel is going forth. There's great encouragement and brotherhood in gospel work. This is a reminder, you Ephesian church, know this, that the Lord is at work, not just here in Ephesus. How easy to see this church, or in the Ephesian context, the Ephesian church and and the struggles that that church is having, and, and just to think, man, it seems like the gates of hell are prevailing. But God is not just at work here. He is at work all around the world and even in Rome, in prison, the gospel is going forth. Be comforted by gospel. Advance. Just another note along these lines. If gospel advance fuels jealousy rather than rejoicing, then you need to pause and search your heart because there's something seriously wrong. We are not in a competition. We are brothers in Christ, working for the sake of the gospel. Our goal is not to spread Altoona Regular Baptist Church. Our goal is to spread the gospel. And hopefully the Lord uses Altoona Regular Baptist Church to reach Altoona. And by the grace of God, hopefully he uses Anchor Baptist Church as well. And Ankeny Baptist Church. And Fellowship Baptist Church. We are brothers and sisters working for the sake of the gospel. And God is at work all around the world. We are not in competition. This should comfort us. It should lift our eyes from from right here, right now. We might look around and be discouraged or we see things going on in Altoona. God's not just at work here. He is at work. The gospel is going forth here and all around the world. So Tychicus has been sent with this urgent task. Comfort this church. Encourage them. Inform them so that they may see that the gospel is going forth. One other note before we 
move past this point. Don't overlook the duty of a Tychicus. Because yes, the church needs Peter's and Paul's. But it also needs Timothy's. It needs Tychicus's. It needs Aquila's and Priscilla's. It needs Prochorus's. One of the first deacons. And I could go through hundreds of names. And thousands more who aren't named. The church needs beloved brothers and faithful ministers in the Lord. Whether that is from the pulpit or the nursery. Whether that's cutting grass or doing the books. Whatever that looks like, be a beloved brother or sister and a faithful minister in the Lord, wherever he has placed you. For we are co-laborers in the gospel. The next point that we see is our co-dependence on the gospel. Not only are we laboring together for the gospel, but we have the same hope. We are trusting in the same gospel. Paul here in this closing benediction, he sums up the message of Ephesians. And he builds it around really the, the themes of Ephesians that he's been working through. This is his closing prayer over these people. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. A couple things to note. Before we really dive into this, just note the general nature of this statement. Paul's not just talking about the brothers and sisters in Ephesians. Peace to the brethren. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Even in his closing remarks, just as he has encouraged them through Tychicus who's brought this, so even in his closing benediction, he's reminding these Ephesian believers of their place in the universal church. You are not alone. You are not the gospel's only hope. The Lord is at work all over the world, in Ephesus and in Rome and in Jerusalem and the other most parts of the earth. The gospel is at work. So peace to the brethren, wherever they may be. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Just a little reminder. The Lord is at work all around the world. Note the language that Paul uses. He says, peace, love with faith, even grace. These are really the, the very themes of Ephesians that Paul is reminding the people of. Peace, that appears seven times in Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 15. And here in chapter 6, verse 23. Peace to the brethren. As we've worked our way through Ephesians, we've seen peace with God and peace with each other in the Lord. Chapter 2 really dives deeply into this idea of peace. Peace 
to the brethren. Peace with God that has real world implications for our peace with one another. Because we have peace with God, we can have peace with one another. Jew and Gentile. No matter where you are from, what you do, what you have in common in Christ brings peace. Peace to the brethren and love with faith. This is a love with conviction and purpose. It is not just love for love's sake. This is love for Christ's sake. It's a love that is rooted and empowered by faith. It is our faith that fuels our love. It is because we are united in Christ and have peace that we can love and serve. Again, these are themes of the book of Ephesians with love appearing 13 times in the book of Ephesians. Faith appears 8 times in Ephesians. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a reminder there. It is a recognition, a final reminder that we are fully dependent on the Lord. Paul is not saying here, brothers and sisters, I want you to try really, really hard to have peace and try really, really hard to love each other and have faith. What he's saying here is, you have these things in Christ. Recognize that. Embrace them. Live in that reality. Recognize that you have peace. Recognize that you have love that flows from your faith. Recognize that you have grace, even as he goes on in verse 24. The unmerited favor of God. This is not something you can earn. You have this. Live in the reality of having that. The Lord has promised grace just as he has promised peace and love. And so Paul's prayer request here is for it to continue. For the Lord to do what he has said he will do. He has given you these things. Live in that reality. Trusting God to keep empowering you. Trusting God to keep his promises. Get grace, one of the themes of Ephesians, appears 12 times. We have the same hope. And it is a sure hope. A hope that does not falter or fade. So brothers and sisters, stand fast in what is yours in Christ. One final reminder here in the book of Ephesians. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. If you have an ESV, it says with love incorruptible. The idea there, incorruptible, it's an undying love. 
That language insincerity is literally the idea of incorruptibility. There's actually a big debate in this passage over that word incorruptible. To what does incorruptible connect? Does it connect to the grace of God that is incorruptible, the grace of God that never ends? Does it connect to the love of the saints? You as saints, as those who are in the Lord, you must love the Lord with a love that never ends. You must stand fast. Or does it connect with the Lord Jesus Christ himself? He is incorruptible. Therefore, our hope is incorruptible. There is lots of debate here. The one that seems most likely to me in the flow of the sentence would be that it's talking about the love of the saints. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity or with love uncorruptible. And yet even as I say that, there's also a recognition here that all of those things are true. Our undying love is fully dependent on our undying Lord. Or our incorruptible love is fully dependent on our incorruptible Lord and his incorruptible grace. We will triumph because he has triumphed, in other words. So it's important to understand this statement. This is not a statement on the greatness of your love for God. As if God's grace is only for those who love God to this level. Rather, it's a statement on his love for you. It is not your love that keeps you in God's grace. It is his grace that keeps you and empowers you in love. That you may have a love that is undying, a love that never ends, that you may endure to the end. Not because of your strength or the greatness of your love, because the greatness of your God who empowers your love, who gives you love with faith, even as we have already seen. Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. He says, love incorruptible. It's an elegant phrase. But it's hard work. It is love that is in action. It is putting feet to the gospel. It is living faithfully. Recognizing all that you have in Christ and standing fast to the end. And is not this the message of Ephesians? That you are rich in Christ. Christ.